CRN. Pause, renew, next. A podcast about soul care, scripture, and stories of faith. And also lately, a lot about attachment. I'm Jenny Detweiler and friends, I'm so glad that we're here together today. This is the second part of my conversation with Jeffrey and Amy Ulrich. If you missed last week's episode, I hope you'll go back and check that one out. In that episode, we talked about their book, The Six Needs of Every Child, Empowering Parents and Kids Through the Science of Connection. They shared such helpful information. And in today's episode, we continue that conversation. I'm telling you, this episode is so encouraging. If you're in a season of struggle in parenting or wondering if things are going to get better, or if you can trust that it's all going to turn out okay, this episode is for you. I personally benefited from this conversation. It was so helpful and encouraging and full of grace, and I know that you guys will too. So with that, let's jump into the conversation. So as you guys were talking about the six needs in last episode, and again, I'm going to say them. On the explore side, there was delight, support, boundaries. On the draw near side, there's protection, comfort, and equipping. And we were talking about how helpful that is in parenting, but also in our other relationships in life that we need those things as well. So when you guys were talking, I was thinking about my husband and I raising four kids together. And I'm not going to say what our attachment backgrounds are necessarily, but I will say my style is definitely like I get stuck more on the draw near side in the Mm -hmm. refuge seeking side. And my husband is much more in the independent explore side. So the way Mm -hmm. that we come at parenting sometimes is very different. So he is very good at setting boundaries. In fact, I've been thankful for that many times over the years because the kids would have walked right over me, but daddy says Mm -hmm. it and they know with some of that's being a, a dad and having that deep voice, but still, and, and I'm, I'm much more about, Oh, let's comfort. I need to protect them. I don't know if they're safe to go do those things. So I feel like we yeah. balance each other really well, but also it can be hard because we see things differently. So I feel like this is a really helpful way for parents to see that and not have it be a fight or a place of contention, but more, okay, these are areas that I'm really good at. And these are areas that maybe don't come so naturally for me, but they do come for you. Mm -hmm. And so we can balance each other out in that way. And I could observe how you do that with the kids because that's that seems like it works really well for you. Do do you guys see that in your marriage too? Um, Well, I think it's true for us. Most couples I would expect to be, as Amy was saying last last time, that you're going to recognize your partner meets certain needs more naturally or easily mm-hmm. than you and vice versa. And just being aware of that and saying, well, um, there are times when we can tag team. Sometimes we tag team just because I'm tired. I may have the capacity, like I have, I have a good capacity for comfort when I'm well rested um, and mindful and it falls completely apart when I'm not. I feel that. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, it's, you know, to say that one has um, strengths and weaknesses, that's also variable within a day or right. an hour, <laughs> you know? That's true. That is so, true. Look, you, yeah. you make the best of circumstances and the more aware, self-aware, I think you can be and, and a, of yourself and your child's needs and can communicate with your partner. I think having that capacity to, 
to tag team is really valuable for our children. That said, I do think we need to recognize our relationships are, with our children are they're coherent. And if I have a relationship with, you know, a, my parent, if child has a relationship and, and that some aspect is missing, like delight, that 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 aspect of that relationship is is going to be something that features forward, you know. And as a parent, I you know I think you, you had written a a blog post I think about hard things and how we don't you know naturally like to press into hard things. <laughs> uh, we we like to avoid the hard things. Um, I think attachment science does encourage us to press into hard things in this way, that if, if some of these needs you really just rather hand off to your spouse, well, that's, that's fine in an in instance, but I also encourage parents to say, also, how can I grow into that, to that need mm-hmm. so I'm not just handing it off? That's, that's what mom does. That's what dad does. Because then our kids also can mm-hmm. play us off each other, right? And that's a dynamic yes. that isn't always healthy and helpful as well. Right. And I hope that this is a way to recognize the validity of all of the needs um, to build respect for each other, right? For what each one brings to the table. I think it can be um, a way we are both high supporters, high equippers, low comforters and have to work on delight. I mean, so it's just, it's led to, it's led to interesting conversations between Jeffrey and I, like we can look at this compass and be like, wow, like we are, you know, I grew up in a very high, high achievement oriented community where I went to, where I graduated from a small high school, where we went to college was, was published in the local paper. Like it was like, go, go, go. I mean, a lot of stress, right? But that's programmed into me and he had a similar. So it's like, oh, we look at this compass and we're like, we have some gaps. <laughs> we are, we are the team, the team has some gaps. <laughs> so, so it's about that. So, so I think that it's like, you know, getting curious about each of the needs saying, okay, all, if all these are valid, then we better make some space in our lives for comfort, right? We better make some space yeah. in our lives for delight in our kids' lives. And then also respecting our kids. Each one is different. I mean, we have three, three boys, three very different kids. And mm-hmm. so you're going to have some kids who really need help going out into the, like, being comfortable enough to explore and wondering, like, I wonder how I can support that. You know, you're going to have some kids who who never want to slow down and process their pain, right? They never want to do that. So how do you make small places for that to say like, well, let's find a healthy way. Um, You know, that was, that seems like it was pretty upsetting. You know, I don't Mm -hmm. know exactly how, but, you know, just really looking at your kids and thinking, you know, I could see how to be as, as healthy as I hope that they'll be, they might need a little bit more nudge in these particular directions. Yeah, that's, that's a good word. And, and one last thought that comes to mind is, uh, and what made me think of it is, uh, you wrote a blog post that I read about you and your youngest and that, that evening routine that we have with our little ones, especially, and you're tired end of the day and you just want to rush through it and get to your quiet time. And that's just human nature because parenting is hard work. Life is hard work. And you shared with your readers just taking a moment and slowing down and I would say letting yourself delight in the moment and enter into that moment receive it as a gift. 
that was a conscious choice. And you receive something in return for that investment, if you will, to press into it. And I think we, as when we get into the parenting space, it can be really one directional. We think in one direction, like, what, I, what am I giving my kid? How I, you know, it's all the kid's outcome. But we're, we're strong believers in this idea that we're all a work in progress, that God, we are all children, <laughs> that God loves us and is doing with us what, what we are trying to do with our children uh, in a better way, in a healing way, in a connecting way, in a thriving way. And so I do think also when we recognize comfort's hard for me or boundaries is hard for me, and we press into it with our children, often we receive a gift in return. It's not just about them. I want, I, I want parents, I want your listeners to, re, want, to be open to receiving that gift, you know, because I know with my boys, I had a father who was very absent, um, very in the clouds, not at very limited moments of connection with him. And being conscious of that, I've, I've tried to invest in my children and my boys in ways that I wish I had been invested in. Mm -hmm. Some of those ways come more naturally than others, but that investment, uh, doing things that I didn't experience has been healing for me. And I think all of us, you know, all of us, um, most of us, um, you know, desire healing in different ways, whether some more conscious than others. And, uh, this work, I think, can be something that God wants to do in us, not just for our children. Right. It's such a light switch that went off in me at some point to just say, this is my life too. Like, this is my, this life that I'm living. Like, these, this is my story. And I really want it to be beautiful. And for whatever reason, it's going to be different for every single person, but releasing myself to delight, letting go of some of these expectations or like that I had to teach every minute that things had to look a certain way to just look at them and laugh. Like sometimes they just say the most ridiculous things like ridiculous. (laughs) And and you're just like, you know, it's just, I was so much more, I don't know what the word is, what we call it, but I guess strict with my oldest. And now I just realize, Oh, it's that long view. They change. So it's like, you know, I don't need to tell you right now why what you said was ridiculous. Let's just laugh and watch a movie. (laughs) Like, you know, and so, and it's going to keep going. And they like different says, it's not like we have no boundaries. We, you know, we have plenty of boundaries. Maybe the boys would say too many, but <laughs> the, um, but just to let ourselves be joyful in this life, mm-hmm. let's just be mm-hmm. as joyful as we can be. Life is hard enough. You know, can we capture moments of delight in our families and mm-hmm. just feel no guilt about, about that fully embrace our mm-hmm. lives. Whew. Uh, there was a minute you guys were speaking. I felt like we were on holy ground and we're not even on the same ground. So I'm just going to say <laughs> I, the, the thing, the thing that the Lord is teaching me is exactly what you said, that we're all a work in progress. Uh, I've gotten frustrated. Like, why did these kids not come with a manual? I don't know what I'm doing sometimes because mm-hmm. things get complicated and things get thrown at you. And when you have multiples, you know, it's not like you can just mm-hmm. focus on one at a time sometimes. So it feels like a lot. Yeah. And yeah. yet, the Lord is always on this, this journey with us same. So Mm -hmm. I'm so glad that, 
that you said that. I think sometimes, especially with all the memes coming across Instagram and TikTok and all the ways that you can be a good mom, <laughs> a good dad, yeah, all the things you should and should not do. Sometimes it can feel like a lot, but we just need to know we're, we're on a journey. We're learning this stuff too. It's okay. That's right. We don't have That's to be right. ashamed. Mm-hmm. No. no, no shame. So in your book, you did a really great job of talking about delight. And I, as you were talking, it reminded me, I wanted to ask you about this for the listeners. If perchance you said you're having a difficult time finding delight in one of your children at the moment, there was something else you could do instead. Could you talk about that for a minute? Delight is hard for a lot of reasons. Um, delight is hard for everyone um, in certain seasons and, and just points in our day. Because mm-hmm. especially in our, I think, modern world, I don't know, maybe that's a cop out, but um, certain aspects of our modern world really undermine delight. Uh, because delight really requires mindfulness. <laughs> the ability to stop and listen, to see and listen. And I think about the Psalms um, that point to our relationship with God and be still and know that I am God. Um, Taste and see that I am good. Like these pausing moments and certainly with technology in particular, grabbing our attention, that means we are losing those opportunities to let our children grab our attentions in those more um, subtle ways, as opposed to now I may only notice my child when he's acting up or doing something wrong, right? I remember when, you know, before, before smartphones, you would take your kid to the park and you didn't have a phone to scroll through. You would just have to sit there on an on a ledge while they swung on the, you know, and did the monkey bars. Um, and that might've led to a conversation with another parent who was there. Um, but maybe you were just by yourself. I can remember times and cause there's nothing else to do, but just watch, you would notice things that I don't think we notice about each other anymore, children or partners or other things, because we'll just scroll down our phone as soon as we get bored with watching. Cause 90% of life is a bit boring, right? And so that and the aspect that we're busy, we have scheduled lives, we're running from one thing to the next. If you're a parent of young children, oh my gosh, just the energy involved. Delight just can be hard. And all these factors, we may not even be aware of them, just rob our ability to pause and to see. And I think it's also important to name that sometimes our kids are hard. Like sometimes our personalities clash. Sometimes there's very difficult emotions and feelings that go along with parenting. You know, disappointment, anger. Uh, Some of our kids are special needs and it's just really, really tiring. Um, So I think one thing that we talk about in the book is just getting quiet with those feelings and just name them. Mm-hmm. to God, call out to God with those feelings. I feel fill in the blank and stop all the shame about it. Yeah, mm-hmm. Just stop, you know, like w- it is what it is, right? It doesn't mean that this season is here forever. It d- 
doesn't, there's so much change. There's so much joy to come. One of my you know, best friends says, there is more, there is more, right? But this moment can be hard. It doesn't take away the fact that things might be different in the future doesn't take away from this moment. And sometimes just looking at the reality of the moment is going to help you get through it and see what your kids need because we're still our kids' parents, right? They still need our delight. So Mm -hmm. I remember when one of our boys went through, just had the hardest time connecting with him. It was just such a difficult period, but I knew that he needed delight. And so I, I realized that when I'd go in in the morning, I could wake him up in the morning and lie with him for a few minutes. And we just have these beautiful little, this moment. So it was like, I knew that I could do, I could find this window of delight, right? And it's hysterical to think, or not. I mean, it's just interesting to think about that now because I find him so delightful now. (laughs) But at that point, it was just like, we have three minutes a day. (laughs) to really access delight with this child. (laughs) It was before, the logic has really meant a lot to me, but um, the logic kicking in. But it was before that. And so it was just this, it doesn't, our kids still need it even if we have difficulty with it. Or I had, I really, really struggled with postpartum depression after my third, really had a difficult time. And this little baby needed me. Um, And I didn't have, I I just have so much compassion for people who don't, who who can't, who are incapacitated. I don't think we talk enough about how hard it is Mm -hmm. to be a parent, how hard Mm -hmm. it is to be a mama. But, um, Given what I know, like the tools, I knew he needed my delight. So I just made a pact with myself. Every time I see this little guy, every time my our eyes meet, I'm going to say, like when he wakes up around, I'm so happy to see you, right? Like sometimes we start these little things and it just helps get through. Like it's not a bad thing to name the hard and then come up with some kind of a strategy That's to get good. through it. That's I think good. we believe that then it get, you know, we have to have, you know, we, then we reach out to people for help. Like you can't do it all on your own, but then also to not feel any shame about the hardness of moments is also important. And I don't want parents, I always, I, it's, you know, we speak about this in the book, but to be very clear, delight is not, um, it, it's a super nutrient. It's not something you need to be constantly pouring on your child. <laughs> so again, I think so many of us as parents, it's like the bar is always high on ourselves. So you tell me I need to delight my kid and it's going like, I'd be delighting all the time. No, <laughs> no, it's not even possible. I'm not even sure it's good. You can over fertilize the plant. You know what I'm saying? Um, <laughs> just a little bit here and there. Um, so bar low, but just at least name, name the need, name your own struggle with the need, try and recognize what's getting in the way. You know, is it, I'm just tired. I got to, I got to, I got to apply my delight first part of the day because if I wait till bedtime, it's just not going to be there. That sort of thing, like Amy was describing. But and I don't know if this is what you were um, cross-referencing from the book. It is also very important for some of us when we recognize, no matter what I do, no matter how hard I try, delight remains something that I'm resistant to. I just I have difficulty accessing as as a general rule, not just particular to this child or um, versus my other child. Um, because the reality is, uh, if we have not experienced delight ourselves in some way, fashion, it's going to be very difficult for us to pour delight out toward others. It really is a gift from God that when we are known by 
most of all, our creator who delights in us without precondition. Uh, that's the ultimate source of delight. And so I encourage anybody to press into that if they're struggling with believing that God loves them unconditionally, no matter how they perceive that they have failed or what terrible things they, they have done to do that work in prayer with, you know, um, with spiritual leadership and guidance and therapy, because that work is so important. It's the keystone to, um, to so much. And so if that door is locked for you to do that work, to press into that work with prayer and conversation with others, because you, you can't squeeze water out of a rock, you know, mm-hmm. um, and recognizing this isn't just a, I'm too tired, I'm worn out, I just need to be more intentional, whatever those sort of things. It's deeper than that to without shame. And actually, really, I think for me, I know it's, it was a grieving process. I've had to grieve that I was lacking delight from my caregivers growing up. And forgive them for that because they had a hard time giving it to me because their parents didn't give it to them. It's an intergenerational Mm -hmm. um, challenge. And there can be other reasons why delight is a challenge for, for certain folks. But yeah, that work I think is important to press into when you really, you're really up against a wall with that need. Mm Mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing that. I really thought you were going to talk about gratitude, but I'm so glad that you went into the other stuff because that was amazing. I'm so glad that you shared that. And it really makes me think of that verse. I think it's 1 Corinthians 8, maybe where it says, those who love God are known by God. And what a what yeah. an amazing promise that is, like that mm-hmm. we can be fully known and what that feels yeah. like when you know what that feels like. It changes everything. Yeah. So It does. Well, in our time that we have left, you guys talked about growth trust in your book. Can you explain just kind of briefly what that is? I think that's the first time I'd ever heard of it. Yeah, it's a bit of an obscure concept. So we talk a lot about of attachment. John Balby, who you've mentioned previously, previous podcast, so the father of attachment, he is most well known for the attachment system, that term. and so most people focus on that aspect, which is really the draw near side. It's the under distress, you know, going to your caregiver, receiving comfort. In fact, a lot less attention is given to that going out and explore side. Um, but there are researchers, sort of a different sort of an offshoot field um, for the more uh, for the therapists among your listeners, self-determination theory is another um, whole investigation to what um, what motivates us to um, to go out and be and do things and what unmotivates us and sort of out of that research is this idea that we are naturally wired to thrive like like a plant, if you think about those plants that grow and out of sidewalks and crevices, and you're like, how did this thing get here and find its way? Like God has placed in all living things that natural impulse to find the light. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We do not, like, 
God did not make creation uh, with the intent to uh, die, <laughs> but to um, be connected to thrive. What's a struggle is that as parents in particular, we look at our kids, and whatever the background reasons for this, it's probably a whole nother podcast, but we don't trust that. We have in minds that my kid isn't going to thrive unless I do this, make sure this happens, make sure that doesn't happen. And any sign of disruption, you know, bad behavior, however you want to describe that, if I don't step in and do something about it, that that's just going to lead to worse and worse outcomes. Which maybe sounds, you can tell yourself, a rationale behind why that's true. But from just from a scientific standpoint, when we study humans and, and the, ones, the ones that thrive, is actually the more you try and control people, the less they thrive. And uh, not that a complete hands-off approach leads to the, the, the most thriving, so to speak, but a guidance approach is where we thrive that we're not neglected, but that there's pruning, let's say, but it's not that we are coming in and constantly cutting away at that, to use that sort of you know, plant metaphor, cutting it down to the nubs to make sure it grows straight, <laughs> just one stick straight up. you know. But so much of parenting, I think we get messages about if you don't, you don't stop that behavior right now, you know, it's going to turn into, you know, five times worse later down the road. And it feels like that could be true. And so it appeals to our fears. And so this idea of organismic trust is that, well, maybe a different, something else is actually truer, which is that if, if, if we move in directions that are unhelpful for us, if we move into the dark, let's say, you know, that, that, that vine moves into the dark, it's not going to thrive there. And so it will now move out of the dark back toward the light. That, re, that, that, that we're always, there's always a feedback with our mm -hmm. environment. And when we get ourselves into unhealthy places, so long as there's an engagement around, this isn't healthy, then that's going to steer back toward the light. And as, as parents, taking that role of trusting that process naturally, not freaking out when our children move into some space that's unhealthy or unwise or however you want to put it and say, oh, look, you're in the dark. <laughs> this isn't healthy. This is the ways in which this isn't actually um, good for you. And very often we do need to explain those things for our kids because they don't see it on the face that we, that we can move back to the light together. And that's, mm -hmm. that's a very different mindset than than not having the trust that our kids are wired to actually, they want to thrive. Right. So I think the research term is organismic trust, right? Yeah. And so we called it growth trust. And what I think of it as, it's just the assumption that you make in the moment is what I see right in front of me right here, the forever of my child. And it's amazing how many of us make that assumption. Like what I see right now, yeah. this disappointment is the forever. And they can read that, like we, they can read our faces. They can see the feelings of failure and disgust that we feel. Or is it like a bit of a curiosity, like, oh, well, 
this is an unexpected moment. (laughs) I'm going to assume that you will grow. I'm going to trust that you will grow. I remember talking with a good friend of mine, older woman now, amazingly wonderful daughter. And she talked about how her, her child had been caught shoplifting. And she went to pick up her, her daughter at the police station. And she said to her, um, I'm sure that this is a moment that will shape, like that will shape you and you will never do anything like this again. You will teach. And I thought, I don't know that I could do that. I don't know that I, I mean, hopefully like in the moment, but like, that's when our, it's, it's not, it's these big moments, right? Mm-hmm. Where we don't, we, this was not expected. How many parenting moments are unexpected? Like we didn't yeah. think we'd be running into this issue, right? And it's that like, how are we going to read it? Are we all, am I going to lie down and call myself a failure as a mom and my kids a failure? Or are we going to say, all right, well, it's a long story of life and we're going to trust that they're going to keep on growing. Mm-hmm. And it just, like Jeffrey's saying so well, is just like, and look at all of humanity. Look at the people who have had really, really difficult experiences. I mean, I read that book, Unbroken with the Boy. You know, you just look at, you look at these, these people who have overcome and done often really took a lot of risks and made some really dumb, did some really dumb things when they were growing up. Right. Mm -hmm. And how do we respond as parents is a big deal. Yeah. And so much of this idea that now is not your forever from a scientific standpoint is grounded in, in the parenting space. Our children's brains take two decades to fully develop. And I just don't, we often, I think, don't appreciate, especially in the moment, that our children's future capacities are going to be far greater than their current capacities and will account and that their incapacity is at this juncture to be self-controlled, to be able to use your words, those sorts (laughs) of things, to make wise decisions are a function of that passage through brain development. Mm -hmm. And much of it will resolve itself. But what remains is their experience with others, with you around those incapacities. Mm-hmm. And so if, if our children are failing in being self-controlled at some point in time, and our interaction with them, what they take away is shame, I'm a bad person, I'm a failure. Um, that will remain. They'll carry that forward. Whereas the actual thing you're all hung up on, they couldn't self-control themselves in that moment. And often my reactions are because, and that makes me look bad, or that means I'm failing as a parent. I overreact. That thing was going to take care of itself anyway, whether you did anything or not. Like when you realize those sorts of things, you go, oh, it's like sort of like the, the you know, medical doctors, uh, you know, mantra, do no harm, like don't make it worse. <laughs> so much of what we do is like, okay, <laughs> how can I actually start with don't make it worse? <laughs> and we really matter so much to our kids. They really and do. And we really matter really so does. much to our kids. And the way that we communicate to them about who we see them, who we see them to be, yeah. it sets the path for their future. That was really helpful. Thank you for sharing about that. It makes me think of There was this time, my oldest was probably, I don't remember exactly, maybe seven or eight. And he's a very strong leader, like very strong. So my husband and I are not as much. So we've always had to kind of like 
ramp up to meet him head on, you know, and I was praying for him on the way home and my intentions were all good, but I think I was like praying specific things for him and how God needed to change this and this about him. And right in the middle of it, I felt like the Lord gave me this picture in my head and this paragraph all in in like one moment, almost interrupting me of my son as this plant and I was the soil. And no, I did not need to tell him how my son needed to be. He was going to handle that and that he would be the (laughs) son and he, he would be in the rain and I just needed to be the soil is all. And I just, mm-hmm. I mean, those are those Holy Spirit moments where you're like, that is nothing I could have made up. I don't think that that mm-hmm. is something that would have popped into my head ever. You know, what a strange thing. But as confirmation, maybe a year or two later, my work was reading The Anatomy of the Soul by Kurt Thompson, and they gave me the chapter of attachment to go over with everybody. And in that chapter, almost word for word, he said, and you will be the soil that your children are planted mm-hmm. in, in about attachment. Mm-hmm. And then I think about that growth trust that you were just talking about. Like it's our natural inclination, almost in prayer with the Lord, I was saying, and we'll just prune this off and this off and this off and this off. Mm-hmm. And God was like, no, 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 mm-hmm. I got this. He's going to grow towards the light. Mm-hmm. It's going to be okay. Yeah. You just be the soil, yeah. be the safe soil that he's planted in. So that's what I thought mm-hmm. of as you guys were talking about. That's beautiful. Yeah. That's good. So as we end our time together today. I want to end on a fun note. What are the things you guys like to do together as a family these days? Well, this is one of those areas where Amy and I definitely tag team and our children probably get the best of both worlds because I'm outdoorsy. Back last, just last weekend, our oldest is 19, so he's at college now. And those days of taking camping trips together, there there are less opportunities for that. But he came home on break and the weather was just good enough for me to say, let's go for it. So, and they had really wanted to, I was really blessed by, you know, the older boys, especially because, you know, they're busy and maybe other things on their mind, but that's something we've done together uh, as a family sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, But especially myself and it's a precious time. You get away from the screens and you have these conversations that you wouldn't have otherwise. Uh, and Amy, Amy has these conversations with the kids, which I think are beautiful, um, but in a totally different context than I'll let you talk about. Right. Well, you had sent that question ahead of time. And what do we do? So, and my mother-in-law actually just moved here to New Zealand with us. Her husband passed away last June and she was able to move here, which has been really a gift and a joy. So she's just kind of getting used to being in the family. And so I said, well, what do we do for fun? And she said, you talk a lot. <laughs> but, uh, and I thought that's actually true. We just sit around and talk so much. And that is joy to me, right? And that is something that I never could have pictured when my boys were so little, that we would sit around for an hour around the table and I would just hear all the things going on and talking about, well, what do you think about that? And, you know, just all these ways of connection, because to me, that is I don't know if the word is fun, but it really feels joyful to me to get to know these people who are their own people, right? And so those moments of connection, a lot of it is like making time when they come in at nine at night. The teenagers want to talk late at night, right? When I'm ready to go to bed and just saying, believing that this is, this is fertilizer in the soil. Let's make space for this mm-hmm. because then when they when they're at college and they want to come home, they just want to sit and tell you about it. I t- To mm-hmm. me... That's fun. 
<laughs> so even now at 1916, they just plop on the bed at 10 o'clock to say goodnight to us. And I'm like, I'm reading, I'm going to bed. And, but the, you got, you guys have a special thing where you do, you've always made space for that. And you see that, re, that gift returning over, over the years. Yeah. That's awesome. Yes. That plopping down on the bed, that feels very familiar in my life too. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. So before I let you guys go, would you like to share where people can find you and where they can find your book? Absolutely. So we, um, our book is called The Six Needs of Every Child, Empowering Parents and Kids Through the Science of Connection, and it's available anywhere. Um, and then we have a website called growingconnected.com. And we have some podcast episodes there and some more information. So yeah, just reach out. We would love to hear from you. And we appreciate this opportunity to share. And just, I would just say to your listeners, because I understand you're going to go through the different attachment um, patterns. Is that right? That'll be awesome. The one word I want to give your listeners, though, is, you know, this being really careful to get fall into that trap of like self-diagnosing. Am I secure? Is my kid secure? And then the judgment that comes from that. What's not often described um, when talking about attachment uh, categories is it's really much more of a continuum rather than like you are definitely one or the other or the other. And like if you're in one, one of the insecure buckets, like, oh, no, you know, all is lost. And nothing could be farther from the truth. Actually, the research is pretty clear. We move in and out of those buckets as we experience reparative and healing relationships, and that can happen within a relationship over time. And so there'll be seasons of your life when you are more secure with your child and they're more secure with you and when they're less secure. And one of the interesting and not really well-known described or talked about aspects is because the University of Minnesota's done this beautiful longitudinal study. It started uh, 30 years ago, and it's ongoing so that they track kids who are now adults having kids and to see how things change over time. And one of the findings is, is that children who grew up with a secure attachment often lose that secure status in adolescence. And what to make of that? And there aren't any firm answers about that, but I think that's just part of developmental pathways. And it looks like they come back to security later, but yeah, things fall apart. <laughs> we all are going through stages and phases and don't, you know, and we develop the, this to describe the components of that attachment dance, the six needs so that you could just focus on, okay, which nutrient in the soil have I probably been neglecting? I just need to pay a little more attention to that for a season. And that'll move you back to that secure zone that you want to get into. So I think it's really helpful to know what those patterns look like. And that'll be fun to describe them. And people will always have fun going, oh, yeah, I think I had, that's, that's probably what I grew up with. But that's not a, that's, that's not um uh, what's the word? That's not a sentence. You know, that's not your for, that doesn't need to be your forever. And certainly God is always calling us and drawing us into 
to security with him and with one another. So anyway, I wanted to add that piece because I know just human nature is to, is to self-diagnose and self-condemn. And that's really in some ways the biggest hurdle we've, we face as humans is getting caught in that trap of condemnation. I am so glad that you just said that. Thank you so much. In fact, I almost started out asking that at the very beginning today. If you could talk yeah. about that, because I heard about you coding it like A1, A2, A3, A4, A5. So at the beginning of last week's episode, when I began talking about insecure attachment, I said, you know, there's temperament involved and there's neurodiversity involved and yeah. humans are a little bit more messy than, than you can be just put in a bucket. So remember, it's all on a continuum. Yeah. But I'm really glad that you broke that down even further because I know that that's what happens. I think anytime yeah. anybody, my professor who taught me how to diagnose people <laughs> said, by the time you finish this class, you will have diagnosed everyone in your family. And it's just what we do. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that was very helpful. And I appreciate you saying that. Thank you. It's always helpful to keep in mind what we say as therapists, like our clients, our listeners, they take in in real serious ways. And you just, you don't want to do harm. You want people to make it be a gift, not a curse. Right. You know? Yeah. Thank you for that. I appreciate that a lot. Well, you guys, thank you so much for being with us. I, I really appreciate it. I think my listeners will too. And I'll make sure I link to all that stuff in today's show notes so everybody can find it. That cool. sounds great. Thank all you right. so well, much. Thank, thank you for having us. Thank you again, Amy and Jeffrey, for being on today's podcast episode. I really enjoyed getting to know you. And I thank you so much for your time, your wisdom, and your encouragement. Friends, if you want to know more about Jeffrey and Amy, I will link to their website where you can find their book and the compass that we talked about on today's episode in today's show notes. If something from today's episode resonated with you, I would love to hear about it. Comment on Facebook or Instagram. You can find me at Pause Renew Next, or you can comment under today's show notes on my website, pauserenewnext.com. If you know somebody who'd be encouraged by this conversation, I hope that you'll share it with them, either by word of mouth or by sharing it on social media or by texting it to them, however you like to share. Please pass it on. Well, friends, next week, we'll continue our attachment series by talking about attachment with God. I know we've been giving some hints about that all along as we've been looking at scripture, and Jeffrey and Amy really talked a lot about the gospel today as well. But next week, we're devoting the whole episode to that. So I hope you'll join me next Tuesday for that conversation. Well, that's all for today's podcast episode. I'm Jenny Detweiler with PRN. Pause, renew, next. May you be encouraged on your journey with Jesus. Jesus.